Stevenson. Reading comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. But before we read together, let us turn to God in prayer. Gracious and living God, we do give you thanks for the gift of your word to us this morning. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us understanding, illumination, Help us, O oh Lord, to know your will through your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. Would you please read with me? But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware. Keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in light of these uh, beautiful scriptures, as I say Hear now God's word from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 64. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, nor eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you and your ways, but you are angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, takes us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, 
for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the land of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our ancestors praised you has been burned by fire, and all our pleasant places have become ruins. After all this, will you restrain yourself, O Lord? Will you keep silent and punish us so severely? The word of the Lord. <clears throat> this prophet Isaiah cries out to the Lord, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, tear open the heavens and come down and save us. That the mountains would quake at your presence. Isaiah, is at, at the end of his rope, he's been yearning, praying, waiting for answers, waiting for God to save Israel from their enemies and from themselves and, and reverse their fortunes. Israel is suffering hardships at the hands of others and they are captive to their own sinfulness and he is voicing their need for a savior. And as I read that, is Isaiah's prayer an angry cry for justice or is it a mournful plea for help? It's from a man whose heart is filled with grief for his people. So in what tone of voice do you read that passage? Anger? Rend the heavens and come down! Or is it a mournful, oh, if you would only rend the heavens and come down? No matter the case, God does come down. If he does come down as the world anticipated, the nations will quake, the mountains will tremble. Nobody can stand before the power and majesty of God, so he's desperately pleading for this power to come and save them. Given our circumstances today, we need the same, don't we? This prophecy of the coming Messiah is about a gentle baby, meek and mild, is overshadowed first by the one, Mark says, that comes like a thief in the night and nobody knows when he's coming. And when he appears, we're suddenly caught off guard. It's the one whose dust tear open the heavens and comes down comes down, comes down to earth in a baby, gentle and mild, and invites us to receive him. Advent is about God's power shattering the known world order in order to awaken us to a new world order. And so he says in these other passages, sleeper awake, stay awake, watch for the signs. But the shattering of the world order is not what we want to hear right before Christmas, but it's what we need to hear because Advent touches those deep hurts and the trends and the places in our culture and in our own lives that we too much ignore and too easily excuse. Like the Black Lives Matter movement and the election challenges and the handling of the COVID pandemic, 
and unemployment and hungry children, Advent forces us to face our reality of who and what we are and what our world has become and to face our actions and face our attitudes so that we cannot deny our need for God to come and straighten us out because we don't seem to be able to do it by ourselves. We've been through a lot this year. Hurricanes, forest fires, floods, earthquakes, natural order, social unrest, and all those related fears and uncertainties and anxieties. The rich have gotten richer and the poor have gotten poorer. Unemployment has wrecked families and lives and lost jobs. Americans have struggled with illness in general and the pandemic in particular and depression and grief and loss and a constant battle to make ends meet. We struggle with a loss of trust in our leaders and our institutions. We struggle with addictions and the uncertainty that keeps you awake at three in the morning with no name for it, just general anxiety. We all fade like a leaf, Isaiah says, verse six. And our iniquities, our problems, our sins, like the wind, just take us away. But then he proclaims hope in the midst of this despair. This prophet who is laying his heart of God's people before the Lord, he then speaks of hope. The heavens will open. This God of Sinai will come down with righteous power and he's going to shake our adversaries, our oppressors, our opponents. And even though we, the people of God, have sinned and feel God has hidden his face from us, God is still there to save us. We still trust God to save us. And so Isaiah still asks God to save us. He's the potter, we're the clay, and he can shape us, he can reshape us, he can correct us, he can correct the flaw in our human nature, and he can make us complete and useful again. God will deliver us and show us the path to follow, the path that will lead us home and restore what we have lost. And something shifts in Isaiah from this big, scary, apocalyptic vision of the world crumbling and language about a nation's redemption. Suddenly in verse 8, it becomes very personal, very intimate. Because you, Lord, you're our Father. You're the potter. We're the clay. We're in your hands. We are the works of your hand, O God. And he testifies that God alone can and will remove the flaw in our human humanity, and he's going to restore order in the world. He's coming to do just that, he says. He will redeem the nation by redeeming the people. You, me. He'll start this grand scale with the individual by changing our hearts, opening our eyes, changing our attitudes. He's going to come, and won't you come, please come, and mold us, shape us, twist us, shape us, put us back in the order of the design you have for us. A blogger who goes by the name of Magdalene, that's all I know, I can't find her last name, writes that the image of God as the potter and God's people as the clay breaks this passage open. It takes us to a new, new, new 
territory. No longer are we talking about God from the outside established it, coming into the world. Instead, God is invited in. Please come into the world. What does it mean, she asked, if God is the potter and we're the clay? I paraphrase her to say, if God is the potter, then he touches us. He's hands on us. We're not alone. We're not left to our own. It's not just that God is up there somewhere, all distance and separated from us. He's close. He's intimate. He's touching, shaping, molding us. He's in contact with us. She says, we're even made warm just resting in the hands of God. If God's the potter, then he wants to shape us. He uses the events of our lives, the events of our homes, our upbringing, our, our work, our circumstances, our choices. He uses them to shape us and to mold us into the people God intends us to be. And if God is the potter, then God wants to make something beautiful, something useful out of us. And it's not entirely up to us to determine what that is. Because the pot doesn't get to choose what the potter's going to shape it into, whether a short bowl or a long neck vase. The potter works with care and with protection to make us into exactly what he wants us to be as a nation, as a world, and us as individuals. If God's the potter, then God might want to and might need to put us in the fire for a while to make us stronger, to make us durable. But we don't want to be in the fire. But when we come out of the kiln, we're stronger, more useful, even more beautiful than ever before. Because now the glazes have been tempered and show their true color. If God's the potter, then from time to time, God has to deal with the issues of broken pieces. This is not a problem for the potter. No vessel is beyond the rescue. Even the broken bits and pieces can be mixed in with the clay till it's soft again. It can be molded again, and the broken can be made beautiful. If God is the potter, then we are never beyond God's ability to make us into what he wants us to be or to do his will. So Isaiah shift from wanting God to open the heavens and come down to the world shifts that if potter, God is the potter, then the root of the world's problem is people, individual people. And this cataclysmic change we want God to make in the world is going to start with individuals in our hearts and our minds and our souls. I think she's right because most of the time we're looking for a problem to be fixed from the outside, for God to step in and fix it for us. We're looking for that magic pill we're looking for the silver bullet. We're looking for the lottery ticket. We're looking for the government bailout or the person who's going to make us feel better about ourselves and everything else. But the wisdom of the ages tells us that the God who has come, who does come, will, will come, opened the heavens and came down at Christmas in Bethlehem, prefers to work on us quietly from the beginning, diligently, hands-on like the potter. And I think 2020 has revealed our yearning, our need, our desire for God to come down and fix us. Not just to rend the heavens and come down and fix the world, but to change our hearts as well. It's been such a divisive year 
an angry year. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. We're no, no longer we just disagree with somebody. We now hate them and what they stand for. How do we work back toward the unity? We're homesick and don't know how to get back home, how to regain normalcy, whatever the new normal is going to be. We don't know when the sun's going to be darker than the stars will start to fall from the heavens. And our hearts and our souls will be awakened by the Son of Man who comes like a thief in the night because only God knows when Jesus is coming back. Not the stars, not the moons, not, not even the Son of Man. Only the Father knows. And, and we may not see a Savior that tear open the heavens, but I think probably even more we'll meet God in the still, quiet places where we normally encounter him in our hearts and souls and minds and relationships and churches and communities. We, the clay, will meet the potter, and if we are willing to be held, to be shaped, to be handled, we will become the vessels God needs us to be and intends us to be, and we may be the change that others need to see. God will need us and mold us and shape us and hold us and lead us home at last. And not just to God's heavenly home in the great by and by, but to the new world order and the new normal that God intends for us. And what we need and what we want we just don't know how to get there yet. Or we're unwilling to walk the path that he has laid out for us. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He is the path home. And he will lead us home if we let him. He will lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And do you realize Isaiah then goes on, he, he proclaims, no one has ever seen or heard a God like you. A God that performs in the way no other God has acted. God acts for those who wait for him, he says. There are two pieces in that puzzle. Be patient and wait on the Lord. Work for the Lord. Is it any wonder that later in Isaiah, in chapter 40, we read those verses that we love so much? But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. And they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Who is it? Those who wait upon the Lord. Those who do wait upon the Lord are promised that God will act. He's going to act. But how soon? Is it, is it a minute? How long? The Hebrew wording indicates that God is already at work. God is already making, working, producing, shaping, molding in you the effect that he desires, that we might make and shake and form and reform the world as he desires. Just as an artist uses color and shading to bring the effect he or she desires, God is using the circumstances of your life to shape you and shade you and make you and bring out the beauty of your life. To bring about the effect that God wants and desires. Your patience 
you're waiting, you're watching through whatever it is you're going through are there to get the effect and the desire and the outcome that God intends for you. God is at work in you and in your circumstances. It's just not always as quickly as we hope it will be or in the how long, how long is it going to take? But we have to stay faithful and keep to the task. Waiting takes patience, and you need to trust God and to trust the process where it may take a while. Take a clue from Christmas poinsettias that are about to come to us. Do you know what it takes to make a poinsettia bloom at the right time? Certain amount of time in darkness and in certain temperatures. It's a precise balance between temperature and light, and they must endure cold and, and, and endure complete darkness in order to bloom. So in nurseries all over the world, they are in waiting. In the right conditions, the nurseries know how to make it happen. They have sat until the required temperature and darkness have endured and the blossoms, the buds begin to form. So when they come to us and we admire their glory, don't forget they've been sitting and waiting and enduring. We're, we're experiencing some of those dark times in America. And in our world, we're struggling with illness, we're struggling with grief, struggling with loneliness after months of self-isolation. We've been wanting to hug one another and we're keeping distance to keep safe from one another. We are restraining, we're waiting, we're watching. Some are despairing over our politics, others are still unemployed. COVID vaccines are coming, COVID vaccines are coming but not yet. To some people, God seems so far removed in all this. Oh, that you would just come down, rend the heavens and come down and fix this. And so we watch and we wait while much is still being done behind the scenes to get ready. Others of you are hopeful because you've seen God at work in your lives and you can say, I remember the time when he got me through this. I remember the time God, when I didn't know what was going to happen, God took care of this and got me through, so I'm going to trust him again. Isaiah had that patience, that persistence to say, God, you've done this before, so I trust you. Will you now do it again? God is with us. God is with our country. In the dark, in the cold, as the buds begin to form, he knows exactly how much hardship and darkness are necessary to produce the buds of hope and joy, of repentance and renewal. So we've got to watch for the signs of God's kingdom breaking into your midst all around you. When you see something good happening, repent and open your hearts to God's goodness and love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and peace and hope and joy and all the things we're waiting to see. And repent so that in 2021 you can engage this world with compassion and empathy and understanding and openness and a willingness to work. Isaiah prayed and he prayed and he waited and he watched. But God did not come down immediately. 
Jesus didn't come for about another 800 years. But every word Isaiah spoke of prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. Nor did God root out the, the fear and the jealousy and the greed and, and the hatred and the bigotry and the lust and all that's evil in humanity. He didn't do it by force, by overwhelming us with his majesty and shaking us, humiliating us, dominating us, controlling us, shaming us. Instead, he came and a helpless baby in a manger, dependent on us, waiting to see if we would receive and engage. He showed us a better way of love and compassion to work for justice and peace, a way of sacrifice and service and humility. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What's the rest? so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So that if you and I will believe in him, will not perish, cease to exist, but live everlasting with him in the great glories of his kingdom, but also live in the presence of the kingdom now that offers a better way. You matter so much to God, you matter so much to God that he set aside his majesty and came down for you in a child born in Bethlehem that you might know his love and grace and mercy and peace and hope and joy for you, for you. So remember our reading from Mark again. Mark's point was the expectation of the second return of Christ. No one knows when that's going to be. Perhaps we long for it so much now Perhaps you're weary of this 2020. Perhaps you're weary from fighting sin and doing your best and trying hard, much like the people of Isaiah's day. There is good news then. He will return. He will return. He is coming. And then from 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and we will be like him. One day we're going to be complete. One day we're going to be God's finished work. One day we are going to be the fulfillment of God's creational plan. We're in the potter's hands still. His hands are at work, sometimes shaving away, sometimes shaping, some uh, forcing, twisting, molding in order to make us his perfect product tomorrow. So we light a candle to hope today, hope that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it in Jesus Christ our Lord. God is on his way, ready to be born in us again this Christmas, ready to reshape us again, ready to shape our world into something promising and beautiful and peaceful with justice something full and meaningful and life-giving to all of its people. So chin up, Isaiah. Chin up. The light shines in the darkness and the promise will be revealed. Take hold of God's salvation as it comes down and take it to your heart. Salvation is on the way. It's on the way. It's on the way. Look for the signs and follow the path home. In Christ our Lord. Amen.
and amen. God, it's all that easy. It's all that easy, isn't it? Oh, but it's all that hard. For the circumstances make it hard to believe or to see. Speak into our souls, O oh God, and give us good hope in Christ our Lord. Amen.